Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. How? What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuckites? Yeah, there's an oldie. Or maybe a new one. I don't know what I've said and what I haven't said. I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Welcome to the show. What's going on in my life? Is that what you're wondering? Or are you fast forwarding? Actually, it's more like what's going on in my brain. What's going on in my life stays relatively constant, give or take. What's going on in my brain seems to you know go all kinds of places. I had weird dreams last night. Dreams about bugs. Like a big cabinet of bugs. Like I just, I, I can't even frame the dream right. I, I know that I ate some grilled baby octopus last night i went out to dinner with jessica and uh uh chris cooper the artist and uh and his girl stephanie we went to some groovy place waited an hour and 15 minutes i don't wait well i get aggravated it's really why i don't go places i don't know if it's my age but i think i've always been like that the aggravation i'd rather deny myself something than have to wait like an idiot for things I don't know what that is. I will stop myself from going places, uh, going to concerts, going to performances, because I don't, again, I don't know if it's because I'm old, but in my brain, it's like, oh, we're going to have to park, and then there's the thing. But, oh, let me get back to the dream. So I ate baby octopus, came home, dreamt about a cabinet of bugs. Like, I opened up this old cabinet that I wanted to keep, and I thought it was antique, but then it turns out the sides were made out of wet cardboard, and there was all this, like, like moldy, wet clothing and crap in there and then all of a sudden when i opened it literally thousands of thousands of ants just started coming out of it and forming a line and going into the uh under my bed and then there was a giant wind scorpion that was black and they're horrible looking it was just a mess and i was disappointed uh that the uh the sides were cardboard and then i found a slip of paper inside of the cabinet that said when it was made and it was much newer than i thought I felt duped, but I also felt when I woke up that I disrupted the force somehow between the baby octopus sort of processing that, the ancient DNA of the octopus, and then unleashing the bugs in my brain. I thought I disrupted something. I thought that uh, perhaps now the dinosaurs are after me. Does that make sense? Don't be concerned. This is just a dream I'm extrapolating poetically. Nick Lowe, the Nick Lowe, uh, is in the garage today. Nicola is a great songwriter. What's so funny about Peace, Love, and Understanding? Cruel to be kind. Uh, he's involved in Rockpile. He's married to uh, to uh, Carlene Carter, Johnny Cash's stepdaughter. Uh, and he's 62 years old. And he's got a new record out, and he sounds great. He plays great. At the end of this uh, interview, he does one of my favorite songs of all time, The Beast in Me, which he wrote for Johnny Cash. Something I can relate to. Uh, something about that feeling of having something inside of you that is mad and dangerous and crazy that comes out occasionally. I can relate to that. I understand it. It speaks to me. He's also doing a, a song off his new album, uh, Sensitive Man. But I think what it really made me reflect on, because I've had, look, I'm dating someone who's younger than me. She's moving into my house. Uh, I'm excited about it. The relationship is making me happy, but on some level, because of the age difference, I can only assume I'm doomed. I, I can only assume I'm doomed. 
I have often, uh, I, I, I think that I, I'm getting to a point where I think maybe I should just get business cards printed up that say, uh, you know, Mark Marin, uh, just a phase you're going through, resolving daddy issues since 1999. But that's negative. Who, who cares about age, right? Right? That's what, you know who says that? Guys who are getting older. Hey, age isn't that big a deal. People who are getting older say, hey, what, age is just a state of mind. No, it's not. It's not. I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I see an older guy finally. I look at pictures of myself and I and I think what is happening? And then I realize, dude, you're 48 years old. And then I realize maybe I should dress like a grown-up. Then I realize what the fuck does that even mean? I don't know how to do this. I think I'm doing fine cuz I don't think about it. And I honestly think I'm doing the best work I'm doing I've ever done in my life. I think we get so wrapped up in youth culture and and accommodating youth culture and playing the youth culture, which I never was able to do. I think I was an old man when I was 15. I think I had that thing. I think I aspired to being an old guy. Now, I don't know if I'm an old guy, but I'm in there. I'm in the middle. I'm waiting for that midlife crisis. Maybe I'm having it. (laughs) Yeah. C statement before re 20 year (laughs) difference in, in age of girlfriend. Hey, I don't seek that stuff out. Is that the, that's negative? I'm excited about it. I'm living for the day. How's that? But I'm having that weird moment where uh, where I'm seeing myself. You you know when someone's president and they do two terms, and at some point they just you see them at the beginning of their first term, and then all of a sudden, about within three or four years, they just turn into old men, and you don't realize it's happening until you see the before and after pictures. I'm not saying I'm not comparing myself to the president. I just always notice that it's a it, it, they they hit some wall and you're like, holy shit, what did the presidency do to him? Well, I think it's just a natural thing that happens to people. You just don't notice it, and I'm noticing it in myself. Not that I, you know, that I was presidential or that I'm president, but that all of a sudden, like, there's no denying that I'm aging. I'm not complaining. Like I said, I I really believe I'm doing the best work I've ever done in my life, and it's finally happened. At 48, thank God I hung in there. Thank God I, I stayed with it. I don't think I've ever known more. I don't think I've ever been more comfortable with myself. Not known more in an arrogant way, but just that you know, I've lived through some shit and now I have something to talk about. And then I start looking at all these people that are half my age, you know, doing stand-up and getting popular, which is all great. And then you start to worry about, you know, how do you sustain a career in anything? Uh, you know, older people are, are sort of turned away and I don't, I don't ever necessarily understand that. But especially in show business. I mean, that's why I was like, great, great. Maybe a you know, career in podcasting. No one has to see me. They just have to hear me. But I, I think I'm doing all right. But I had one of those weird uh, weird age moments last night. I'm not, not a senior moment. I, I do forget shit. But I was in the car with Jessica, and we're driving to the restaurant to meet the, our friends. And she's, uh, you know, it's gotten to the, you know, when you're with somebody for a while and, you don't want your relationship just to become sort of a, a series of ticks and predictable uh, exchanges that you find comforting. But at the drop of a hat, all those things that are predictable and comforting can be, you know, grating and horrifying. Yeah, everyone just becomes a, a series of predictable uh, behaviors, habits, petty exchanges. It's how we communicate. It's how we find consistency and trust. All the things that build a good relationship are exactly all the things that can undo it. But we're in the car and she's 
I know how to drive, kind of. I'm having some trouble with the driving lately. Not because uh, it's not an old thing. It's just I, I have a style. I have a style of stopping at stop signs. I have a style of approaching a red light that I need to take a right turn at. My style involves uh, maybe going past the stop sign just into the intersection to look both ways. I think it's safer, but it, it's not. It's against the law. So anyways, I do know how to drive. I've not been in many accidents in my life. It's been a long time since I've been in an accident. Even even if I'm I you know I have my own style that might seem slightly dangerous, but my girlfriend you know chooses to do the uh you're going to want to get in the other lane if you want to get off of the thing. I think you should be in the furthest lane over if you want to, you know, just go through this. She dri- she drives these roads a lot and she drives in a lot of traffic. I'm not saying she doesn't know, but I am saying I know how to fucking drive. Do you understand? Do you understand what I'm getting at? Hey, maybe you might we might want to get over two lanes. All right, I, I know how to drive. I'm just saying it's a better. I know what I know what you're saying, and then it just like that. And now because I'm trying to be a better person, willing to compromise, willing to meet people halfway, I say to myself, "Yeah, this is cute. This is okay. We're okay. I'm okay with this. She can do that. And you know what? I'll even listen to her. Why not? There's no reason to make a stand for having." Yeah, I've been driving since I was 15. Do I have to make that stand? I've been driving for 33 years. That's older than you. Am I going to say that? No. I'm going to go, okay, yeah, no, no, I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah, I'll get over. I'll get over. It's not that big a deal. Pick your fights. But then we crossed a line. Yeah, We got to an intersection. Uh, I, I stylistically moved into the uh, crosswalk. It's my style. And she goes, stop, stop, stop. Stop before you get into the crosswalk. And I said, shut the fuck up. I know how to fucking drive. And she goes, you're going to get a fucking accident. We're going to kill somebody. I'm like, fuck you. I know how to fucking drive. There's no one in the crosswalk. I just don't want to be in the car when you get into a fucking accident. You don't know how to fucking drive. Maybe you should learn how to drive. And I said, fuck you. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to be this couple. What are we, 50? And right after that came out of my mouth, I realized... Wow, well, one of us almost is. Jeez, that didn't work out. And then quickly, because we're in the middle of a stupid, petty argument that was not cute, uh, I corrected myself. I, I said, what are we, 50? And then it hits me, I'm almost 50. And I'm like, I, I mean, 65? Are we 65? That took the wind out of my argument. We got through it. I pouted for a minute or two. Standoffish. Didn't commit to it. There was no punishing involved. We just moved right through it. That's the sign of maturity. Maturity is important as you get older. <laughs> I'm thrilled that you're here. Well, thanks for having me. Um, I uh, I was <clears throat> desperately looking for my uh, for my rock pile album that I played the hell out of. The one with um, teacher teacher on it. Yeah, I, I I played that constantly. That that song now was that. I mean, the fabulous Thunderbirds did that song as well, right? Or no, they did. Um, teacher, no, uh, which little, song? Little girl. Yeah, yeah. Take, you, take home. you home. You yeah. sure? Was that a uh, uh, a Jimmy Vaughn song? or Was that your song? No, that's a Rocking Sydney. Oh, it's an old yeah, song. Yeah, it's an old song. And we've, in fact, we got it from the T Birds because we used to um, play with them a lot. And, uh, He's a good player, huh? Jimmy Vaughan. Yeah. Oh, he's absolutely fantastic. It's wild, man. Yeah. Now, like, what fascinates me about you is how long you've been part of music. I mean, it's been since the late 60s. 
Yeah, it has. Yes, that's when I. That's when I uh, kind of stop stop working yeah, yeah. as you could say and uh, exchanged a meager wage for no wage at all yeah and the landscape of the you you were in uh, london uh well we were just south of london in yeah. fact i i uh, i joined up with a guy i went to school with and um he, he he formed a group after after school and then he they chucked their bass player out and uh and got me in and um <clears throat> When we started, we, it was right at the end of the uh, era where the, everyone knows the, the, the uh, featured in the Beatles' early days when they went to Hamburg. Yeah, that was still going all that scene, and we were. Was know, that the Teddy Boys? Uh, no, it was. Um, there, there were t- some Teddy Boys around back then, but it was. Uh, it was the feature was that you could go to Germany and yeah. play in these clubs, these real sort of low down clubs, right, for a month. You yeah, get a residence. You play all night. And uh, the weekends you play all day and all night, and that's how and people got their chops. Yeah, yeah. Because yes. when I listen to your stuff, I mean, it seems like even now with the most recent album that there's there seems to be a thread of of sort of original fifties uh, rock and roll and pop that ne- that never goes away. Yeah, and that you honor even more as you get older. It seems is that possible? Yeah, I think I think that's right. <laughs> I think that's right. Yeah, because there's that period there in the in the seventies where. Something happened, and and a new pop was sort of defined. Do you do you feel that? Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. Now, Br- well, now the original band, Brinsley Schwartz. What kind of music were you playing with them? Um, well, uh, I it was Americana. I suppose we we really liked the band, you know, and mm-hmm. um, and uh, we, we, so we'd read their interviews and things, and if they mentioned somebody, we'd go out and and buy their records. And also, we were all we all we shared a house it was we didn't think it was a hippie commune but it sort of was right really. it was just we just thought it was cheaper to live that way but, yeah um but it was in a way it was like going to college or you know some sort of musical college because we all listened to the same records and we had a rehearsal room and yeah things, yeah so. yeah so um looking back it was uh it, it was very sort of instructional time you know? <laughs> yeah because uh, when you're just sitting around jamming with a bunch of people and that's all you do you're going to come up with something yeah so it was more yeah. folk based, do you think? Um, well, no, a lot of lot of country and and R and B stuff. That was I'm sorry, the, I'm not as familiar with it as I should be, but I'm not no, going to lie to you. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a very refreshing, uh, <laughs> very refreshing of you to say so. <laughs> I kind of picked up with the Nick Lowe, like around you know, uh, Labor of Love, and uh, then the Elvis Costello records, and Rockfile as a freak for, and then the last few records. Uh, I, I really enjoyed, but I what I want to know is in the late '60s and what happened in the '70s in in Britain. I mean, how did you manage to avoid becoming ridiculous? Ah, <laughs> uh, that's a that's it. Well, I've I had my, I've done my share of ridiculous uh, <laughs> stuff. You, you no no one is unscathed by that. You know? <laughs> yeah, like what? <laughs> I mean, you didn't end up wearing too big a hair, and you didn't end up overproducing any of your records. Um, no, uh, I suppose. Oh boy, I, I, I've 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 managed to sort of um, blot them out now. I'm not being coy, but I just can't sort of. Uh, you know, things start to disappear. Conjure one up, and you're moment. you're hoping that the uh, the bad things disappear, not the uh, the important things. Yeah, I I, the, the, I think um, the my my one regret is that uh, well, I have lots of regrets actually, but um, we were we used to go into the studio pretty sourced most yeah. of the time, and and sometimes we got results as a result, you know, because of it. Yeah, um, but very often we didn't. I think I think uh, we lost a lot of 
great stuff. Got really great stuff, yeah. Because he's oh, let's just yeah. you know forget it and we'll do something else. At that time, like in, in the in the early seventies, I mean, in in England primarily, I mean, you know, David Bowie was huge. Glam rock was still you know happening, and and there was sort of whatever you guys were doing, which seemed to be very different. Was there a sense of competition or a sense of fuck those guys or? Uh, no, um, uh, it 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 we seemed to operate in a different uh, in a different world we was we were we were uh, the kind of alternative you know and yeah in that in the 70s when pop music was uh well david bowie was was really really good you know but there was a lot of other stuff which we didn't like you know and in london at that time that and it was only really in london this little um a little movement started up which was called the pub rock scene where a band started playing in pubs there's nothing new about that but it was just the kind of music they were playing and what kind was it exactly well, it was uh, a lot of um they were like human jukeboxes you know they they play right. they play classics uh, they play classics they play their own tunes um and they and they'd mix up the styles because at that time it, everything was very very rigid you know right um, but uh it was a sort of breakdown of snobbery, I suppose, uh, in uh, music. So it was more so, of a populist uh, movement, almost. Well, it was some, some music lovers' movement, and also it was very, very sociable as mm -hmm. well. That was the other thing. There was no difference between the band and the audience, you know. So right. it was quite sexy as well, you know. And and, um, and where does punk rock come in around that? Well, as it has become apparent now, because the pub rock scene got very, uh, it, it became very easy to knock it because it turned into a kind of blues boogie sort of yeah, scene yeah. it was why, kind why of tiresome why, why does it why does that get because like i play blues you know that's what i always play i don't i i still listen to blues but for some reason the idea of the blues band at a bar or a pub is hackneyed fills you with despair yeah it does it does it is it because anyone can play because you can walk by a, a pub or a bar and you can hear some pretty good guys playing but still there's something just tragic about it yeah there is i know it's it's because on paper it's really easy to go yeah right but to get to get the sauciness and the kind of funny right thing out of it that's what people don't get and that's why it sounds so terrible you know <laughs> and, well that's how you make it great i mean rock pile just had some good swing to it and there was a little bit of humor to it and the production was real tight none of that dirty kind of like you know yeah i i i guess so i guess so but the the um but anyway that's how it turned into and and in fact i use the expression myself you describe something as oh it's a bit pub rock that you know it means a certain kind of earnest yeah. you know it's sort of humorless uh, right. guys music guys they, trying their hardest to just play the hell out of something that's right sort of boogie woogie with all the woogie taken out of it somehow <laughs> so who were the uh, were there bands who were in the pop rock explosion if i could call it that or the pub rock explosion that that you came up with that went on to to actually create their own sound. Well, uh, Ian Jury was one of them. Oh, yeah, uh, I remember uh, him. Yeah, Kilburn and the High Roads. Uh, his group were really great, and and some went on to no matter what you might think of, of them, you know. But they went on to uh, you know great international stardom like Dire Straits, for instance. You know. Yeah, uh, he's a he's an interesting player, huh? Yeah. Now yeah. he comes sort of like cause when I first heard that record, it was like I'd never heard anyone play guitar like that. And he seems to come from uh, like some sort of weird Richard Thompson tradition or something. Yeah, he 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 really liked J.J. Kale. Oh, like, really? Yeah, so, yeah, like uh, right, kind of blues uh, folk rockish. Yeah, um, uh, and uh, Elvis Costello, of course, Graham Parker. Um, uh, the, the and you worked with both of those guys. I did. Yes. I did, did you like find Elvis Costello? No, not really. Um, he used to come and see our group, Brinsley Schwartz. He, yeah. was a, he was a fan, especially when we played up in the northwest, around Liverpool. He was living up there. 
and we always used to notice him at the gigs. And uh, one night we were playing actually at the Cavern Club in, in Liverpool, which uh-huh. is uh, now gone. And he walked into the pub across the road where we were having a drink. And I thought, well, it's time for me to go and say hello to this kid. Because you know, he was stalking he was... you, basically? Well, no. He, he used to, he, he used to come, always come on his own. He was always on his Alone. own. Yeah, kind of, but, did he have the glasses and full-on nerd? Yeah. He did. He was quite nerdy. But, yeah. uh, you know, we thought, well, he turns up all the time. He looks, you know. <laughs> so I went, I went and said hello to him. And, yeah. uh, and then a few years later, um, he went into Stiff Records, which was by this time, this was, this was sort of pre, pre-empting punk rock right we had this record label called stiff records. and you d- you were the one of the first artists on there right yeah and i was the sort of house producer uh, i suppose you could say as well but that was a, that that sort of became a bit th- that evolved into pop punk and metal didn't it i mean well, i mean they did everything didn't well they? Uh, um uh, motorhead were on were on stiff yeah that's about the closest we got to so you're that. you're one you're doing you're, at the beginning you know post brinsley schwartz and at the beginning of this pop explosion post pub rock there's a lot of things going on in England. I mean, Motorhead is a contemporary of yours. Yeah. yeah. So you you know, you know, do your thing. Elvis is doing his thing. Graham Parker's doing his thing. And then Lemmy's doing his thing. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a really great time. It was <laughs> yeah. a really great time because you could sort of do, do anything. I've always wondered, maybe you can answer it for me, to get to, get to the Elvis Costello Graham Parker thing, that, that there was something like, it, it's almost like, in my mind, it's almost like, um, who's the guy that... Uh, that the, the that claims Bob Dylan stole everything. Ramblin' Jack Elliott. Oh yeah. <laughs> like I I feel like there's a like maybe I'm just putting uh, maybe I'm imposing it, but it feels like that that Graham Parker and Elvis were very similar, and then Elvis just took it more. Yeah. I've well I've got a theory about that actually, which uh, um uh, because at one point of course they used to talk about um Elvis. Graham Parker and Bruce Springsteen in the same breath. They right, were, they were all sort of doing the same kind of thing, and uh, and then Graham just sort of fell away from it somehow. Bruce went, you know, huge, and right. Elvis had whatever thing he's done, which I don't quite know what you call it, but uh, he redefined something. Because I remember I listened to the hell out of that album, My Aim Is True, when it first came out, and you produced that. Mm. I mean, when you were when you were building that record, I mean, what were your feelings about him? Uh, I thought that he uh, his songs were too complicated. I thought too many words, mm-hmm. um, too many chords, <laughs> and I, I and and when I was doing that record, I was sort of in charge. That was you know those that he did what I said. I was the producer, you know. <laughs> yeah. But it didn't take very long for slowly the scales to tip until yeah. I found myself tugging the forelock, you know, and yeah. saying, "Oh, Mr. Costello, what have, what have you got in mind today, sir?" <laughs> well, that was about three albums in. Yeah, exactly. Yes, because that one know. blew up, huh? So you did the first five uh, Elvis uh, albums, five or six. I can't remember now. Yeah. So he uh, he's turned into something. I you know is he? I mean, I don't want to talk about him too much, but but when you watch that that career and you watch the 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 sort of risks he's taken and and the way he's evolved, he he sort of. Uh, uh, would you put him, you know, in the same arena as as a Bob Dylan or somebody else? Well, um, he certainly puts himself in the same uh, arena as Bob Dylan. I mean, I, don't get me wrong; I'm very fond of him. You know, do you guys I, still I, get do you get along? Yeah, we get along great. And but <laughs> yeah. I f- always feel with him as, uh, as I describe it as rather like a, a slightly disapproving elder brother. You know, because he he works so hard, and whenever I see him, he al- he's always comes up and says to me something like. 
you know, not boasting, but he, it, it's just the world he lives in. He'll say, oh, yeah, well, you know, Bobby De Niro and I were uh, out at so-and-so. Oh, okay. And yeah, I, yeah, always, yeah. I always find myself sort of saying, mm, well, <laughs> Robert De Niro, he hasn't really made a good film for quite a long time, though, has he? You know, I always find myself sort of slagging off whatever <laughs> Trying to cut him down to size. I do, really. Yeah. You know, but I'm, I'm, I really am ever so fond of him, you know. He's, yeah. uh, he's, um, he's a great fellow. And, and I, I couldn't work as hard. And I've got no desire to, to sort of swim in those shoals if you know what i mean but, well, the, i think the, the you, rarefied atmosphere he's i mean i saw him on tv the other day standing in front of barack obama singing watching the blooming detectives yeah why didn't he sing uh what's so funny about peace love and understanding <laughs> well he, he in, made you a couple fairness, bucks <laughs> in fairness he does no, he, 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 he cuts me in on that yeah, oh good but he uh but w- with with what was going on at that time because I was in, I went to uh, um, England briefly in, the, I think, 1980 for a month uh, on some exchange program. And it seems that what was going on at Stiff Records and what you guys were doing, uh, along with uh, you know, with Elvis and Squeeze, and that, that there was a, a redefinition of what pop music really was. And can you trace that to anything? I mean, because the chords seemed a little different. You know, where, what were the roots of that? Was it was it Beatles? Was it where did it come from? Yeah, I know what you mean, I, and, and I it was don't, a sound. I don't know what the answer is. I don't. I don't but yes, I, su- I suppose the beat. You can trace so much of it, like the minor chords and just that. And it wasn't a huge. Did you find like at the time? I knew a, a, a music producer later, and, and and he said that that music was still sort of a rarefied thing, that it was not a huge selling type of music. Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, Elvis, even, you know, uh, when I uh, when I first started working with him, which was in the sort of in the punk rock days, and, yeah. I, and I did a couple of records of those sort, sort of records. I never liked punk mu- Who'd you music. record? You, uh, I did The Damned. Yeah, oh, they were big. And uh, Re- Reckless Eric and uh, a few other... Sort of also rands, yeah. Um, but I, uh, although I liked those records I just mentioned, the Damned and, and Reckless, um, I never really liked punk music. I liked I liked the sort of mischief that was made right. around there. But I was I, I never was keen on the on the music. But Elvis was always was stuff was very sophisticated. You know, as I say, it was cordy. But when he when it was if you corralled it, you know, yeah. and, uh, uh, it was it was fantastic. You know, I mean, he's written some f- sensational. Songs. How much impact impact did you have on that first record with the with the more classic, um, you know, bluesier rock numbers like you know Mystery Dance and that kind of stuff? How much uh, musical influence did you have on him? Uh, well, that particular one, I think I, I think I played the bass on that one. In fact, and and uh, and sort of sort of piano <laughs> played the piano with a drumstick. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, uh, who were you? To, but it, but um, I I can't really remember what I did. You know, he kept on asking me back to do you know to <laughs> again. But I always used to turn up, you know, and and say, oh yeah, very nice, you know. And um, I can't really remember what I did, but I I, I must have done something. Who were, who were you guys? Who were your guys when you were growing up that, that had the most influence on you? Oh, so so many now. Um, Mainly, mainly American music. I've always liked American music, you know, whether it's sort of country and western, or rhythm and blues, or blues, but or, but also, uh, you know, show show tunes as well. Yeah, I hear you know. a little of that coming through. That there's some sort of like a, an almost kind of swing era feel to some of it. Yes, my 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 mum had very good musical taste, you know, and uh, um, she had some some very good records which I, I liked. And she, Amongst them, she had uh, a Tennessee Ernie Ford record, uh-huh. and that's when I first heard 
well, I know now that it wasn't technically uh, Nashville-type country and Western, but that was the first sort of country and Western music I, I heard. It made a big, big impact. Were you a Buddy Holly guy? Oh, sure, yeah, certainly. He was, a, he was a little bit before my time. I had an older sister, but she had kind of bad musical taste. I mean, she preferred Pat Boone singing Tutti Frutti, you know, to <laughs> Little Richard. <laughs> but, but she brought, you know, she brought some good ones home too, you know, Elvis and Buddy Holly. And Eddie Cochran, I was a big fan of. He well. was great. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, uh, all that uh, rockabilly stuff. And Elvis, were you an Elvis guy? Yeah, sure. Yes. He, I, I even like his, you know, his late period stuff as well. The, now, the, before, did you, how, would you have ever imagined that at some point you would actually marry into the Carter Cash clan? No, that came as quite a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah were you a johnny cash fan before that oh yeah yes of course yeah. i mean his cover that song that you wrote the beast of me has got to be one of the best songs ever fucking written oh well it's very very <laughs> sweet of you to say so um, i always wonder about songs like that because like in, in what you were saying about elvis is that you know there was a, a layering of words and there was a, a lyrical thing that you know he was sort of hung up on that 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 kind of wordy thing but it seems that he, you know, certainly in your later career, that you've always chosen to write songs that seem very self-reflective and and very honest in in, in an almost melancholy way. I mean, there's a lot more to be said about uh, that type of honesty than than a lot of fireworks. Uh, yes, well, I suppose it's one of the perks of getting older. You know, in in uh, you know now in, in now in in pop music, there's a, there's a, a lot of um, people who are. You know, well, look, Bob Dylan's seventy, I guess, isn't he, or something like that. And and they say that uh, uh, I haven't heard it, but they say that uh, uh, Paul Simon's n new record is one of the best things he, he's ever done. It, oh, it's out too. Like I haven't picked it up yet. No, me, have you? No, no you I haven't. haven't. But I've seen the, the reviews. You know, everyone's saying it's really, really great. Well, that that was unheard of. You know, back in well, when as I describe it, when my career as a pop star yeah. finished in the sort of early 80s yeah um that was going to be it you know i'd had my little time in the sun and that was it and i'd done pretty well as well i'd produced some good stuff i'd written a couple of great songs good tunes and yeah. i had a couple of hits myself yeah. and there i was on the scrap heap you know that was it bye bye next yeah and that's when i started trying to think well how can i wait a minute i haven't actually done anything really good yet you know and so I, that's when i started trying to figure out how i could sort of reinvent myself to a certain extent to use the fact I was getting older as an an actual advantage. You yeah, know, so. I'm sort of happy you didn't go the uh, sort of, I'll just play some standards. Yeah. Did you, <laughs> you didn't no, go that route. No. You no. decided to continue to write music yeah. and, and create new standards. Uh, but it, it, it uh, I, I guess it must be pretty frightening uh, to be in music when you have that realization. I mean, what like, what were your, your biggest hits were... Um, Cruel to be kind, be kind was, was huge. Yeah, that was a big hit. And I had uh, a few others in in Europe. I had a song called "I Love the Sound of Breaking Glass." That was a yeah, pretty that was big, big hit. Yeah, yeah. And another one called "Half a Boy and Half a Man," which was uh, um, quite a big hit over there as well. Um, but then there's other songs like um, "Peace, Love, and Understanding," for That's instance, which has song. never been a hit, but, right. uh, but everybody knows it. It's yeah. been covered by uh, you know lots and lots of people. Well, yeah, well, that's good. Uh, you, I mean, you've got your publishing, don't you? My publisher uh, looks. I mean, I, the hippie in me sort yeah. of looks forward to a time when that song will be no, it'll be no longer yeah. necessary to sing it. My publisher disagrees. <laughs> <so>. Keep <laughs> it going. <laughs> See if anyone else will do it. But that must be a pretty frightening moment to realize that at uh, that at some point, 
you know, like because people in music, I mean, there's a lot of ways to make money in music, especially if you write your own songs. But there are people that have you know done two or three hits and said, well, yeah, I did all right. That's enough. And then they go play those three hits for the rest of their lives. Well, that's that was the terrifying pro- uh, prospect because I'd seen a few of my contemporaries who 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 do that. And, you know, you, and you've got to worry about your hair falling out, you know, oh, and yeah, all that man. sort of stuff. You know, yeah, and, yeah. and uh, you have to, your public just sticks with that. You're, from your time in the sun, you, yeah. you've got to just recreate that for them, for their entertainment pound note. Yeah, I saw, uh, uh, I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame recently, and, uh, and I went to the Elvis area, and they were showing some film of him from probably the, the mid-70s, you know, when he was heavy and he was sweaty and he was in Vegas and he was high. I could see how high he was. But there was some weird moment that I'd never had before when I was watching him where I realized he has to be that high to put his heart into these songs over and over and over oh, again. Oh, interesting, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and it, it was, there was something horrifying but, you know, sadly beautiful about it, that that's who he is and that's what he does, but it's, it's going to kill him. Yeah. I mean, in terms, I, I didn't mean to make it all dark, but it, I, when when you uh, at that juncture where you were like, "Fuck, what am I going to do?" Um, you know, did, what was your recourse? Did you? How many years did you spend in darkness or <laughs> booze? Well, or? Uh, I, it took me a, a sort of a year or two to recover from the um, from 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 my time in the sun. You know, because I did have a great uh, a great time, and also I knew it was coming because I'd been. A record producer and uh, and I uh, so I'd, I'd hung around not only had I got down with the artists on the studio floor but I'd hung around with the suits on on the 23rd floor so for know. most practical purposes you were okay financially you weren't you know you weren't broke as you'd done some producing mm, and well it's uh, I wasn't really that you know, oh yeah you're ha- happening you're not know, carefree anyway n- no I, <laughs> I, I you know like everybody else I'd you know um had some fun. Had some fun with it, yeah. <laughs> and uh, but and, and I knew it was coming. Yeah. Um, uh, but still, you know, suddenly when you can't, you know, Luigi at the uh, you know the Maitre D at yeah. this fancy restaurant, yeah. you know, who used to give you a table, suddenly won't be uh, isn't taking your calls, you right? Know? Um, or or you know the legions of of exotic looking chicks, you know, yeah. suddenly have disappeared. You know, yeah, who yeah, wants yeah. to go out with you. Um, it, it's still, you know, it comes as a bit of a shock, you know, yeah. even though, as I say, I knew it was coming. So um, that coupled with the fact that I was, you know, on the edge of death, I suppose, <laughs> as well, it gave me time to reflect. You know, I took a couple of years off at least. And then I realized that if I when I started working out this thing, I kind of knew that in order for it to work, I really had to start again. You know, I had to spend some time in the wilderness um in order to for it to work you know? yeah and uh you so know, you I, got pretty out there on the booze i did uh, yes for for uh for a while yeah no, uh, I, uh, yeah <laughs> who who didn't you know <laughs> yeah and you don't drink no, anymore no more than anyone else i suppose <laughs> you still drink oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. just there uh, you reeled it in yeah of course yes because no, i mean it, that's the one thing about that song the beast in me is that like to you know having you know, uh, you know i don't drink anymore but it seems that it comes from a place of of uh very uh, genuine uh, knowledge of and, that and self-loathing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this well, this record, the the new record, uh, the, uh, the 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 title is uh, escaping me. What's the title? Um, uh, the old magic. Yeah. I mean, it it doesn't have a, a real darkness to it. It's got a sort of a, a sweet kind. There's a melancholy to it, but it doesn't feel, you know, grim. 
Yeah, I've 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 done grim. You're out uh, of the tunnel. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah but uh, I, you know, I, my my stuff isn't really autobiographical. You know, I I I am an old fashioned, you know, Denmark Street hack, really, of songwriter. So I make it all up, you know. But I know what I'm singing about. I know what it feels like to you know, experience. Human you made emotions, the beast in me up. Well, um, no, but it's still not particularly old. I, I was doing Johnny. Ca I wrote it for Johnny Cash you yeah. know, for, for the song, so I was sort of doing him. But I know, I know what I'm talking about. You know, I suppose. No, I, I don't want. You know, I don't bring up anything too touchy because I know you're not married anymore. But how much time did you get to spend with uh, with Johnny Cash? Oh, quite quite a lot of time. Yes, although he lived in Nashville and I was lived in in London, but we were we were really pretty good friends he um he was a lovely lovely bloke and uh I, I i miss him very much now and june as well they were they were real sweethearts and they once you um uh, carleen and i um when we got divorced it didn't really matter to yeah. them you know and they because they've got hundreds of of ex-sons-in-law yeah. you know they did they did have and <laughs> and it didn't seem to matter you yeah. know once you got your feet under the table <laughs> you're, there, you know, you're in you're fine and some of them Frankly, I would have set the dogs on them if they come round, you know, <laughs> yeah. banging on my door after, my, you know, they'd finish with my daughter. But um, uh, but there was some pretty, you know, it's a, there's a pretty some some pretty nice fellows as well, you know. Yeah, were, yeah, you're you're in good company. Yeah, I yeah, think of the so, cash yeah. exes. Yeah, Rodney Crowell, Marty Stewart, you know, very good guys. Some of them had a couple of goes, you know. <laughs> Now, when you, very good guy. Did you did you glean any from anything from him? You know, yeah, that you can remember in terms of how you approached a song or, or how you approached a playing or anything. Well, the one thing that's just been occurring to me recently, funnily enough, because I've I've been doing, um, you know, been uh, doing interviews uh, um, recently, is that this thing that um, you hear old timers saying, which I used to hear for years and years just uh, if you want to get on in this business just be yourself if you must have heard people say that it never made any sense to me i thought what the hell does that mean yeah. be yourself you know if i go and see someone perform i don't want to see them being themselves i wanted to be magnificent yeah or i want right, to be right but and and he actually used to say actually said that to me himself nick you know all you got to do is figure out how to be yourself and then you've got it made and the older i've gotten the stage I'm at now, I know what he means. I quite understand it. Once, because once you do, obviously you've got to have a little bit of stagecraft yeah. to kind of put it sure. across. You know, well that's something you put into place as a youngster, anyways, if you're performing. So yeah, you've got the chops that way, right? Yeah. But I found when I was younger, I was always trying to cop an act, you know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and sort of put this. There was, was a terrible strain after a while to keep it up. You know? yeah, but shoes, you, know, you, you <laughs> got to get the right. You buy the right <laughs> shoes, you know. It, it's only a temporary uh, <laughs> fix, a relief. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but I sort of know what he means now. You know, if you if you can uh, figure out how to put your thing across with the minimum of effort, really, you know. Um, then then it really it makes things much much easier because there's an authenticity to it. And people yeah. sense that, yes. Even if it's a bit, well, he that's what he was so. That's why he was so great as yeah. well. People loved him because he was sometimes he was kind of awkward and sort of hopeless. You yeah, know, oh yeah, and not the man in black. You know, he was yeah. just the man dressed in black. Well, I think know? that's what's amazing about those recordings, and you know, and 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 the rest of the recordings along with the your song is that there's a vulnerability there that's insane. 
I mean, the the way that uh, the uh, who was it, Rick Rubin mixed those things, it was like you could hear every crackle of mm. every you know everything comes through that. Mm. It's almost heartbreaking, even when he's singing a you know a relatively upbeat song. Yeah, 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 that's right. And do you feel wait, what, what's your uh, what's your outfit now in terms of how many guys you're traveling with? Well, I'm I'm just on my own. The, um, so you're just sitting up there with a guitar now? Yeah. Well, wow. I've just been opening for Wilco with a with a, a solo, um, which was quite that was quite a trip. Yeah. But, uh, what do you think of uh, What do you think of him, Mister uh, Tweedy? Oh, he's as good as gold. They're, yeah. They're, they're they're really nice boys. Yes, I can't I can't really say enough about them. They were real, really, really nice to me. You and, like the sound? And oh yeah, sure. And uh, they. Um, they uh, their, their audience too were, were I didn't know how that was going to work out you know yeah if, they, if you know how they'd react when I came out did they know you uh it's hard to tell yeah I suppose so that I got a pretty nice clap when I came out you know mm -hmm. so I suppose that means that that uh, you know they did to a certain extent and they received you well yeah they did they did the only time they got a little restless is if they were standing up you know and i uh, uh, you know if it was a standing up they'd come yeah. to rock and roll you know and yeah. you'd feel them have you become a go. sit down act nick yeah <laughs> I, I suppose i have a bit yeah i suppose i have. but i you know i'm i'm still you know the sticky floored rock club is still sure, my, yeah. my uh uh, habitat i suppose really. no when like, i i sort of skipped over rock pile which i, I you know, like i said that uh, i mean i don't know if it was the second album which album is teacher teacher on well we only actually made one one official rock pile album even though that dave edmonds made about three and i've certainly made two is he still around pile. he is right yeah are you guys yeah. still friends no we're not really and i it grieves me to say it but he he sort of becomes something of a recluse oh know? really and uh yeah and mm. uh so I, I never speak to him or hear, hear from him at all it's a, it's a real shame i i i think he he should be reaping some sort of reward i think yeah he's a he's a hell of a guitar player yeah he is he influenced a lot of guys yeah he, he certainly influenced well, me in a lot of ways yeah like uh like how well with mainly with his his studio stuff the way he was in the studio i was a great fan of his you know and and really went was went through to went to a lot of trouble to become friends with him and yeah. uh when i was a kid i know, know. that feeling like yeah. how old were you is, is there a big age difference yeah fairly you? big age difference yeah and what what did he come from in his earlier uh, manifestations what, what did you know him from uh he he had a band called love sculpture in the 60s and they did a, a, they had a huge hit with a an instrumental version of uh, Saber Dance, the um, ca uh, Kachaturian Saber Dance. Oh, really? That thing. And which I thought was fantastic. But And then he did I Hear You Knocking. This was a massive international That's a Fast Domino song originally, right? Yeah, and I'm... Smiley Lewis. Smiley Lewis. I stop at my dad's wisdom. I should know further back. But that his yeah his version of that is great. Yeah, it is great. And and then he used to use the same studio um, that that the Brin, uh, Brinsley Schwartz used to use, and I used to see him come in when when we'd finished, yeah, so ten at night, something like that. He'd come in on his own, and do these incredible, you know, stay up all night, you know, um, creating these fantastic uh, sounding records. So I started to, you know, I, I started to bug him a bit, and then first of all he got me into sort of be his audience, or yeah, yeah. audient, you know, and uh -huh. sit there. And then he'd get me out to scratch a mic, you know, or, yeah, yeah. or turn the machine on for him. And then he, uh, you know, an ooh or an ah or a hand clap or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then I brought him a song one day and said, you know, do you like this? You know, and he said, oh, yeah, 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 we'll do, we'll do that. And then next thing I knew, we had Rockpile. 
So, so he kind of taught you some things about producing. Yeah, he sure did. Yeah, he was f- just fantastic. And what, what what was it specifically about that sound? The drive of it, the the clarity of it, because he does some he does straight up rock and roll, really. Yeah, and he, like he's an old school kind of like uh, it's got like a a, a a fast swing, right? Yeah, he uh, he uh, he's all of all of that, and also in the studio, he was very very. Um, Un, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, intimidated by mm-hmm. the recording studio. No, he was. He absolutely dominated it. You know, and and uh, uh, and used to bend. You know, make the. You know, m- sort of mistreat the equipment. Really, you know, to get it, <laughs> get it to sound the, the, how we want. How we wanted to hear it. Like guitars know. or mixers. Uh, oh, everything. Oh, everything. Yeah. <laughs> everything. Yeah. It was really, really something to watch him mixing, uh, mixing stuff. You know, it was really, really cool. And, so and tape. You know, uh, tape loops going all around the studio. Hold, uh, people holding the tape. You know, as oh it really? In the studio and things. Yeah. You wouldn't think he'd be that complicated. I mean, what, what do you do with tape loops? Well, I can't remember now, um, but... It was, uh, it was like just, a mad scientist. I huh? just remember thinking, this is so cool, we're all holding tape here. He's <laughs> going through our fingers. <laughs> <laughs> and so Rockpile, was, was there uh, a, an idea? Like, what... Because what, the, the sound seems pretty... It, it's a really classic sound, but it's just mixed in a, in a, in a very clean way. I, I don't know how I, I would explain it, but, but it, it all sounds like familiar to you know do you like if you like rock and roll i mean it's pretty straight up well i i don't think i'd be here talking to you if it wasn't for rock pile you know we, we over in the united states uh, it's conti- i'm continually reminded uh, about rock pile people ask me about rock pile all, really? all the time yeah and um and we part, part of the reason we never made it was because uh uh, was the same reason that we were so popular, really, because we formed just to have a laugh, just for fun, and uh, we we did a uh, I think two days rehearsal. We learnt up a set, you know, yeah, and we we were a sort of hit straight away. We played a pub, you know, the next week, and there was a full house, you know, and um, then we came to the United States, opening for various bands. Uh, Bad Company was the first. What year was that? Seventy-five or six. So Bad Company was probably three records in. They were pretty huge. Too. Well, they were. They were on their way out, though, right? You know, and so, yeah. And we, you know, we had these little tiny amplifiers, you know. And I remember going to the de- we started at the Mile High Stadium in Denver, you know. We, and I remember looking at, at this huge place. Oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. No idea I've been there. I've been there. How anyone would hear us? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And we went out. And we went out and. People went crazy, you know. I, I, What'd you open with? Get out of Denver. Really? Yeah. Get the out Bob Seger song. The Bob Seger song. Except we we were in the Mile High Stadium. Yeah. <laughs> we almost passed out. You know, yeah, it's yeah, got yeah. So got many words high. in it. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Uh, and uh, and that just tore the roof off. It the place? tore the roof off the place. Yeah, and uh, um, we we couldn't believe it. And of course, they then Bad Company, you know, uh, started cutting our set down. You know, right oh no boys, shit. You know? Well, the thing is, the worst thing you can do because it just means that you get rid of all the sort of boring numbers. You know, you, all you do is your best stuff, and so 
after 20 minutes you know yeah. you leave the stage when the yeah. crowd are completely you know gone mad and you you know do lots of staring at looking at your watch and shaking your head <laughs> you know and shrugging your shoulders got, at the crowd yeah and so gotta go gotta go sorry <laughs> and uh so they didn't take us as long to get fired you know and we did we we got fired off quite a lot of tours because for you because he kicked ass because we kicked ass and uh and we didn't people could tell that we were just having a laugh you know and then one day uh i suppose it somebody from columbia took us aside and said look boys you know you re do you realize that with a little bit of work you could really be big and it's almost like someone just popped the balloon you know and we all just went oh what do you mean do a bit of work you yeah, know? yeah 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 and and um and and that was it we we just sort of uh, walked away from it it's interesting um, that 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 because like if i picture bad company who i liked in high school and i you know and, and then i liked you guys because i mean in 75 i mean shit, I, I i didn't realize that 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 album when the album come out 77 uh something like that yes yeah, so like yeah. i was still in high school and i was getting hip to that stuff but i knew both sides but it, you come out with that kind of drive in front of a band like bad company because there's something familiar about rock file and it's almost like i'd imagine sort of its heart is in that, that in, in that pub rock thing in, in a way yeah because you're having a good time you're doing songs you know some what a couple covers but they all have that drive that that's sort of wired into everybody's head. It's just party music. Yeah, they were just going nuts, and then Bad Company comes out and does uh, uh, what? You know, what was their big song? Um, Ready for Love. I can't uh, get enough of your love. love. Yeah, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. pretty cool song actually. I, well, I he's a, he had a hell of a yeah. voice, that guy. Yeah, I mean, now see that's a, that's the a weird thing is that your whole musical career was sort of outside of this this weird mainstream rock thing. And it always, it seemed to have its own integrity. Did you run up against those guys a lot? I mean, were you guys friends? I mean, who were your peers as as your career goes on, you know, from from the, the old days all the way through? Well, uh, I remember there was a bit of antag antagonism. Uh, what's the word? Antagonism. Tension. Tension. Because... Mm -hmm. I was also at the, uh, um, starting to get involved with Stiff Records back in the UK. Yeah, yeah. And there was... Um, and we were sort of out to change the status quo. We, th I mean, we thought it was ridiculous. That, but not uh, punk that rock, but yeah, your thing. Yeah, yes. It was uh, sort of predated it slightly. But there was definitely a movement to to, to change the status quo. I and mean, it's ridiculous that a really sort of terrible band like 10 years after, you know, could come over to the and United States yeah. and, you know, um, well, basically make all this money. You know, yeah. where's our money? Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. They're playing the blues 20 yeah. times faster than anybody else. Yeah, just, you know? Al what was his name? Albert, Albert Lee? Al Alvin, Alvin. Alvin Lee noodling on, going home, doodly, doodly, doodly. Please, Alvin, do go home. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what was being said in the, stu in the studios of Stiff Records. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, and and occasionally after drink had been taken you know and uh, that i suppose a few rather unkind impersonations of bad company drifted down the corridor into the uh, right yeah 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 the headliners uh, um dressing room so we you know we i su i suppose that was the that was the nature of the times but that was now. the manifesto of stiff records was that it didn't matter what type of music you were playing necessarily as long as it wasn't the status quo yeah. so that's how you get like you know the beginning of of what was you know real heavy metal you know with with lemmy and then you get the damned but then you also get your music and and the pop and you did some yeah i mean all of that stuff was completely against the status quo yeah and yeah. you produced did you produce the 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 first motorhead record no i did 
uh, I did something with them. Did you do it's Ace all of Spades? It's all a bit of a blur. Um, no, I didn't do. That. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I actually I did, but it was a, it, it was a you know it it, it, it didn't work. Oh, know? it didn't. I, I oh, just yeah. went in the studio with them. It didn't. It didn't work. Nothing I did with them. Uh, now, did would you, you the wait, did you have a, a problem getting along with people like Lemmy at that oh, time? Oh no, no, Lemmy's great. No, no, he's fantastic. <laughs> Are you still friends? No, no, I don't think anyone doesn't get on with Lemmy. Really? <laughs> oh, Just yeah, a sweet guy. He's a fabulous bloke. Yeah, he is. <laughs> it's very funny. Now, okay, so let's. Um, so you tonight, when if if I go, which I'm going to do, like my girlfriend's half my age almost, and. I, you know, whenever I bring her to things. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I wasn't bragging. That, you know, it's a double-edged sword, that thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but hey, tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you got one? You got... My, well, my second wife is much younger than I am as well. So you're, uh, this is your, you're on your second now? Yeah. Yeah, it's good, you know, they, as long as you just stay confident. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, yeah, but I'll, I'll bring her tonight and, and hope she doesn't go like, well, what are we doing? Yeah, oh, move over, granddad. Wait, like people like Tweety though. Like before we play some music or before you play some music, I don't know why I keep putting myself into that. But um, uh, do do you get? Do you find yourself getting the the respect uh, that uh, that uh, uh, an elder uh, record producer and great pop songwriter deserves? Well, I don't know about deserves. That's that, uh, you know, I couldn't possibly uh, say say that I deserve it. But um, yeah, See, you're not Elvis uh, Costello. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, they're, they're very they're very nice to me, you know, and they um, it it it's uh, it seems like, like it makes sense, you know, when we when we play together, you know, it does seem to make sense and. Uh, um, what do you want, sitting in with Wilco or something? Uh, yeah, it seems it's the, the bill seems to work. Sure, you know, for yeah, some, yeah, for yeah. some reason, you know, and um, and yes, yeah, sometimes I, I do sort of feel like a kind of like elder statesman. I kind of enjoy it, I must say. Yeah, and because uh, it, it seems like some of the music that you guys champion, that that type of pop, that you know, there was some bad period there, you know, with. Uh, you know, with uh, with disco and, and synthesizers, but it, it seems like structurally some of the type of music that you guys were playing then is is popular now. Yeah, yeah. I mean that th those structures, those minor chords, uh, the things that aren't necessarily hooks. But you're not afraid of a hook. <laughs> you 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 think in terms of hooks. So I do try to. Yes. Like when you were when you were first writing songs like uh, "Cruel to Be Kind" and and uh, and some of your other hits. I mean, were were you songwriting in 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 a? Did you were you aware that like you know, like I gotta find a, a hit song. Um, it, it wasn't quite as as uh, cold blooded as that. But, yeah. Uh, but it was much more m my era then. You know, I was I was hip to what was going on there. Whereas now I'm sort of not right. really. You know, I've I've uh, sort of earned the right now to to do it exactly the way I I want to do it. You know. Yeah. And uh, and some people like it, and quite a lot of people don't. You uh -huh. know? But. Um, but back then, I was much more, you know, I was younger and I knew what was, what, you know, what the good stuff was. So it was much more of a natural thing rather than, you know, really scratching my head, you know, to think, oh, yeah, it's the hook, the hook, yeah, where yeah, is yeah. it? Now, when, it when, sort of came along more naturally. You know? like, did, like, did you know, like, like I, for, for some reason as an American, I always picture that everybody in England somehow came across one another eventually. Yeah and <laughs> yeah, see there, yeah, you're 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 dead right. It's only a small place, right? Know, so, like, I mean, was there a time, you know, in the late seventies where you know where you would you know some come in contact with David Bowie somehow? Um, it it 
David Bowie is somebody I have actually never met, um, but uh, I most of my friends or, or, or all have met, met, have met him, but I, I, I haven't. But because uh, we're so uh, many you, of the others, yeah. <laughs> I have. Although it's, it, 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 there's still a sort of a class system, you know what we're like, us Brits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's even yay, even unto rock and roll. You know, yeah, and where, where are it, you in the, in the strata? I suppose I'm like middle management. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so you're like Robert Plant. Uh, yes, I, I know him fairly well. Yes, and uh, but he is more uh, like a princeling, I would think. Perhaps you know, sort oh, of really? like the crown prince of a small, uh, a, a small territory. Yes, a small like, territory a, in Saxony. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're the kings. <laughs> well, the, the, you know, the Beatles and the Stones, I suppose, um, still are. You know, you um, never see hide nor hair. Well, yes, you do, because actually, I, I live in quite near Richmond, and. Uh, uh, Mick uh, Jagger's got a, a house there, and uh, Ronnie Wood lives there. Yes, I, uh, I, I just did. You read that Keith Richards biography, autobiography? Uh, no, I, I, I didn't. I wonder why he did it. Actually, I couldn't work out why why it, he would do a thing like it's that. It's a fascinating book. man. Is it really fascinating? Well, yeah. I don't know if you know him, but like as a fan, you know, lifetime fan of of of, of a lot of people, you have this assumption about him that he's just this fucking you know junky idiot. But this thing is like just—he's a raconteur. There's great stories. There's a lot of wit. He's a lot smarter than you, you ever imagined. And he did have an axe to grind. And I'm not saying it's without ego. But if you like the Stones, you're sort of you know. And I imagine you'd know a lot of the players in it mm. uh, along the way from music. Um, it's it's pretty fascinating. Well, there's been so much. I've seen him on the TV talking about it. There's been so much uh, sort of publicity. I sort of feel that I've read it without actually <laughs> having read it. I thought it was very surprising. Okay, folks, at this point, uh, Nick got his guitar tuned up so he could play some tunes. I asked him to play The Beast in Me, and I was thrilled that he said he would. Uh, that was originally recorded by Johnny Cash, also at a very uh, uh, ripe age when he did that, some of his best work. And then uh, Nick plays his new single, Sensitive Man. That tuner looks good. Yeah, very handy thing to have, huh? Okay. Yeah, and I think you can like you can sing right into that mic if you want to put those cans back on. I think you can. Uh, it probably help you out. I'm not. It's not a big music studio. <laughs> <laughs> I do what I can. What kind of guitar is that one? This. Yeah. It's a J150. It's um. Jumbo body, huh? Yeah, it's like a J200, except it hasn't got any of the um, what my friend Paul Kennelly describes as the Hopalong Cassidy stuff. Yeah, the uh, the uh, yeah the uh, hummingbirds. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The beast in me is caged by frail and fragile bars, restless by day and by night, ransom rages at the stars. God help. Beast in me The beast in me Has had to learn To live with pain And how to shelter From the rain 
And in the twinkling of an eye Might have to be restrained God help the beast in me Sometimes it tries to kid me that it's just a teddy bear Or even somehow managed to vanish in the air Then that is when I must beware of the beast in me That everybody knows They've seen him out dressed in my clothes Patently unclear If it's New York or New such a fucking great song <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah what what other one do you want to do um <clears throat> well i could do uh i could do uh maybe sensitive man what about that one i'm a sensitive man okay you know? Lately when I go to steal a kiss I feel you pulling away I know something is amiss But what it is you won't say If I've done something to upset you Believe me that was never my plan But how can I fix it Standing out here in the cold I'm a sensitive man don't always have to speak You can say it with a look Even across a crowded room I can read it like a book But other times when there's something on your mind Make it as plain as you can Don't freeze me, baby, I'm no dinky-doo I'm a sensitive man I'm a sensitive man You can hear that in my song I'm a sensitive man But first impressions could steer you wrong Bop, 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 ba-da-da-da Bop, ba-da-da-da Bop, 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 ba-da-da-da Sincerely, my one desire is to make you happy again But I can't begin till you let me back in I'm a sensitive man I'm a sensitive man You can't 
can hear that in my song I'm a sensitive man My first impressions might well steer you wrong Sensitive man Out in the cold Trying to do good But so misunderstood Sensitive man Beautiful. Again, the sound of a single hand clapping. <laughs> that was great, Nick. Thanks so much. Thank you, Mark. Thank so you. When, when you play, uh, uh, are you finding your old fans are coming out? I mean, like, you know, people that are your age? Yeah, um, a, a lot, uh, a lot of them. But um, what's more exciting, in a way, um, I mean, it's a miracle that my old fans can still sort of make the journey, you know. But um, what what is more exciting, in a way, is there's a lot, lot more young people seem to come to my shows. That's now. great. Yeah, I'm very pleased. A lot more girls as well. Which well, I'm, that's even better. That's yeah. uh, probably the reason why you got in to begin with. Yes, one of them. Oh, those days. <laughs> Well, it was great talking to you. Thanks for yeah, coming out. Thank you for having me. Okay, that's our show. Kind of a unique one. Nick Lowe, the legend, the amazing singer-songwriter, the pop genius. Ah, what, that was a thrill. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Hey, if you want, go to WTFPod.com and get all your WTF Pod needs met. I got Bill Maher on the show on Thursday. I'm going to be in Oklahoma City on... Uh, Saturday night. I believe we might be adding a show if necessary. You can go to WTFPod.com, check my calendar. You can check the episode guide. You can get the apps for iPhone, iPad, iPod Touch, Droid. You can kick in a few shekels. You can get on the mailing list. Uh, and you can comment on the comment board. Very lively lately. Uh, the last couple of episodes, well, Matt Graham specifically pulled out some interesting stuff out of you folks. And, and I can tell you right now, Matt was absolutely thrilled. So do all that. Get yourself some hold on. Pow! Wow, I just shit my pants. Just Coffee. You can get that at justcoffee.coop or go through the link. Go through my site. Go through WTF Pod. Get on that mailing list. I'll mail you something. I'm going to go check my Hamica tea. My Hamica sun tea. That's what I'm doing now. Go see if it's done. <laughs>